Welcome to the Peachy Books podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about death in Macbeth. And I think the first point to make here is that the play is bookended by the death of traitors. What do we hear right back in Act 1, Scene 2? We hear our first comments about Macbeth, who faces a traitor. And what does he do when he faces this traitor, Macdonald? He comes up to him and he didn't rest till he unseamed him from the nave to the chops and fixed his head upon our battlements. So the traitor gets his comeuppance. And then what happens at the very end of the play? Well, Macbeth has his head chopped off and is put on the end of a pole. Behold where stands the usurper's cursed head, we hear. There are other parallels as well. If we look back at Act 1, Scene 2, we hear this comment. No more that thane of Cawdor shall deceive our bosom interest. Go pronounce his present death and with his former title greet Macbeth. That's what King Duncan says. And then, of course, Macbeth, who becomes the thane of Cawdor, is himself killed at the very end of the play. So we begin and we end with death, but not any old death. It is the death of a traitor. But there are other deaths at the end of the play as well. And notably, we get the death of young Seward. Now, he seems like a really minor character, but he's really important. Like a man, he died, we're told. And his father, old Seward, asks this apparently strange question. Had he his hurts before? And Ross replies, I on the front. In other words, was he injured fighting? Was he killed fighting? Or was he killed running away? In which case his wounds would have been on his back. And listen to Seward's response in the final scene of the play. Why then, God's soldier be he? Had I as many sons as I have hairs, I would not wish them to a fairer death. Had I as many sons as I have hairs, I would not wish them to a fairer death. So what we get is this concept of a good death. At the very start of the play, Macbeth is fighting for King Duncan. And it's the right thing to do to kill the traitors. At least that's how it's presented in the play. And at the end of the play, it's the right thing for young Seward to do, to die fighting against the tyrant Macbeth. He has a good death. So we start the play with traitors. We start the play with heroes. We end the play with traitors. We end the play with heroes. And what do we get in between? Well, we get some really important deaths, of course. First and foremost, the death of King Duncan. And the really important point here is that it is a terrible death. Macbeth is killing both his guest, Duncan is a guest in his own castle, and he's killing his own king. It's a regicide. And of course, in the context of the time, this would be the worst crime imaginable. The king chosen by God, God's anointed one, to be murdered by Macbeth would be a terrible crime. And what's interesting is that as soon as King Duncan is killed, it opens the floodgates. And almost immediately, Macbeth, who's been agonising about whether he can kill his king, kills the two guards. One death very quickly leads to another. Something has changed within Macbeth himself. But of course it doesn't stop there. In Act 3, Scene 2, Macbeth says, We have scorched the snake, not killed it. And so he's got to look for other people to get out of his way. And that's why he hires the murderers to kill Banquo. And he doesn't even trust them. He hires two murderers and then 
When it actually comes to the killing, a third one turns up, this very mysterious third murderer. And what we notice about the murderers is that the deaths that they carry out are just appallingly gruesome. My lord, his throat is cut. That I did for him, the murderer says to Macbeth. He's boasting about this appalling killing. And so what happens now? What happens now? Do the deaths stop? Not at all. As Macbeth says later in the same scene, Act 3, Scene 4, I am in blood, stepped so far, that should I wage no more, returning were as tedious as goer. He's got to keep going. He's in so far, he's in so deep, we would say, that he cannot stop. And so that leads on to this terrible murder of Lady Macduff and her children, an act of total cowardice. But after that, strangely, there's not a great deal of fighting. You might expect that there'll be a huge amount of fighting and a huge amount of death, but there isn't actually as much as you might think. There are lots of desertions as people leave Macbeth, desert Macbeth in droves. What happens is the play narrows to the final showdown when Macduff kills Macbeth. And this is the culmination of the play. The tyrant is killed. Order is restored. The right prevails. And of course, there's one more death that is mentioned right at the very end in that final scene. In fact, in the final speech, because it's not just Macbeth who's died, but it's also his fiend-like queen, who, as tis thought, by self and violent hands took off her life. So Lady Macbeth has killed herself. And what we see here is that there's a sense of inevitability about the deaths of both Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. What Shakespeare's audience would have believed is that evil is its own reward. As he becomes more evil, as he does more evil deeds, it eats him up inside. It eats her up inside. They're changed. They become worse people. And inevitably, that leads to their downfall. So there we have it. It's a real whistle-stop tour through death in the play. But we can see it's not just a meaningless list of lots and lots of deaths. There's a purpose to it, there's a structure, there's a trajectory to the deaths through the play. We start with traitors who deserve death and are killed because they're traitors. We start with heroes who are fighting for the king. And we end with heroes who are fighting for the rightful king, Malcolm, against the tyrant Macbeth. And in between, we get the inevitable destruction that comes when the rightful order when the god-given order is disturbed by Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time.